Well, good afternoon. Uh, are we not in a lot of confusion? It starts out that way. I didn't think about that, but it works out pretty good. We live in a world today that is in so much confusion. And even in the church, there's confusion. Here, very few kept Feast of Trumpets on the Day of Trumpets. But the majority of the church, along with those that are not in the church, are, um, they're keeping trumpets today. I remember when I first started studying the calendar in 1994, I questioned why was it that um, I went out on the new moon, the seventh new moon, but we didn't keep the Feast of Trumpets. We kept it, I think, a day or two later. We couldn't figure that out. And um, then one time I talked to one uh, elder in the church who was pastor of a group, and he said, well, you just can't keep back-to-back Sabbaths in the, in the fall. And I said, why? There's no answer other than the only one I can figure would be uh, Romans chapter 3, I think about two or th- first two or three or four in there, it says, because God gave the oracles to the Jews. But I'm thinking God gave the oracles His word to Israel and to Moses. And Moses wasn't a Jew, he was a Levite. So, anyway, today we're keeping the day after the Feast of Trumpets, uh, the seventh trump when... Hopefully, if I take my act right, I won't be human anymore, and neither will you. There's, there's a lot depending on that between now and that seventh trump, and it depends a lot on who we are and what we do and how we act and respond to God. I have two points today, seven pages, but two points, and I've been debating whether to cover point two first and then point one. Um, I was taught in, in Spokesman's Club that you, you have, when you give an uh, impromptu speech, there are several um, categories that you can follow in point, reason, proof. Uh, and the one I chose today would be physical and spiritual, but then I set everything up on spiritual and then physical, so I did them backward and forth. But uh, either way, hopefully it will work out. Either way. Daryl left off yesterday with uh, a, a, a song that I played many years ago on a, on trumpets on a tone uh, on a in a um, I think it was a sermonette uh, the trump shall sound but he also read the scriptures two of them one first Thessalonians 4 15 through 18 I'm not going to read that one we covered that pretty good I want to go though turn to 15 first Corinthians 1552. I want to start with that because this is the day after, and um, I don't want to be physical the day after the last Trump. Uh, it's going. It's not going to be a very good day. <laughs> it's going to be a pretty tough day. Fact is, before that day, it's going to be tough be a lot of toughness in all of that. So it says in 1552, in a moment in the twinkling of eye at the last trump, the trump will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. 
and we, speaking of the called out ones, the chosen ones, will be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. That's what I think all of us are looking forward to. And I think the church, the greater church of God, wherever they might be, they're looking for the same thing. We're still in confusion, like Daniel said. God, everything with you is straight. It's in line. It's in order. It does great. But we as human beings are confusion of face. Look at this country. It's confused. The world's confused and the church is in confusion. So I had for the first point, and I'll go through that. I'd probably do it that way. I like the spiritual first anyway. The first point I'd have is when that last trump comes, what does it mean to you in the church? Or put it another way, where will you be? when that last trump sounds? Are you going to be standing on the earth, physical? Or are you going to be transformed to spirit being, to being God? Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter... 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 and 3. 1 Thessalonians 5. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For the church, I heard a sermon not very long ago. And a man said, uh, well, uh, there's a lot to happen between now and, and Christ's return. It could be as much as seven, eight, nine, ten years. Uh, I hope it ain't that long because ten years from now I'll be as old as Al. And I don't know whether I can make it that long or not, (laughs) the way I feel. So most of the church is still in confusion of what's coming down when they don't look at... We've been blessed, I think. I feel we are blessed that we have sermons that show us what's happening in, in the church in relationship with what's happening in the world. Okay, We see world conditions and we can see that it's looking pretty bleak. You know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of upside down things happening. I mean, we have people, uh, alternative media who talk about, uh, doing things God's way, although they don't understand everything about doing things God's way because they don't keep the laws. They don't keep, they don't keep the statutes, the law, the statutes and the judgments. Um, they try to, to their knowledge, but they just haven't had their minds open to it. And many in the church is that way too. They they just don't see because they they teach mainly principles of living, which is good because it's teaching us how to be like God. Okay, that's their point is you have to look like God, you have to act like God, you got to work like God. So. Here it says it's going to happen like a thief in the night. And a lot of the church, they're confused. It will catch them too. It's going to catch them as a thief. It goes on in verse 3. For when they shall say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon them 
Can you imagine when that first trump blows, what's going to happen? That's sudden destruction. That's sudden destruction. And right now, we feel like we've got so much, somewhat peace. I mean, here on the Arizona Strip, uh, we're not acquainted with uh, what's happening in Seattle or uh, Portland or New York or Houston or, uh, where, or Los Angeles. We're not, we're not really hit other than having to put a face mask on. Uh, it's kind of crazy. I, I turned on one of the sermons this morning and the man got up to do a offertory uh, whatever whatever they called it an offertory deal and he got up there he worked up there with a mask on so he took his mask off so he could speak and I'm thinking are we not still confused of what's happening to us in this country so here it says it's going to come on on people suddenly and they're not going to be ready for it. When these trumpets start to blow, are we ready for it? That's what he gets down to. It says it's going to happen like a woman travails with a child. I've been there. I've helped deliver four children. Uh, four of my six. My eight. I have six of my eight. I have six of the eight up. Can't believe it. Anyway, before it starts, the wife is doing pretty good, and all of a sudden she says, "Uh oh, let's go." And it happens just like that. And it could be in the middle of the night or middle of the day. So it's going to come uh, as prevail for a woman. And you know what? You you cannot escape. You cannot escape because when it happens, it happens. And there's no stopping it. I know in society today, the medical profession does their best to stop it and it causes a lot of problems. But they try to. But you can't stop it when it starts. But for us, when that trumpet starts, where are we going to be? What do we think when the first trump starts? Will we hear that trump? That's where I, why I was wanting to switch it around and go physical and then spiritual. Because so much of the world is so involved in life. And um, they don't know what's happening. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we can see that God is offering to you, to the church, to specifically the called out and chosen ones. The called out and chosen ones. And we know that Daryl has, for many sermons, over and over said, 90% of the church are going to be there and go through these seven trumpet legs but the called out and chosen specifically about 10% or small 10% will not be there Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6 that no man deceive you with vain words because of these things come 
the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So God's bringing destruction on the world because of disobedience. That's what it's about. But He's warning us ahead of time. Wake up, He's saying. Listen. He's saying, don't allow somebody else to tell you stuff that's not scriptural. Basically what it is. You could be led astray. We're human, you know. What did it say in Jeremiah 17:9? The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's what it says about human beings, except that God judges the heart. So here he's saying not to allow somebody to, to lead you in the wrong direction. If you're being taught what's right, stay with that. In verse 7 it says, Be not therefore partakers with them. With those that are not leading you in the right direction. You want to stay with the one that's teaching you the right words. You want to be caught off guard. So, we have to be not just people coming to services or attending a congregation or whatever. We have to be more than that. We have to be people that respond, that do, that work. I've been on the planet for 83 years. And um, I lived through, I think, five or six or seven wars. And see how they how those wars have changed during the Second World War is over, what, in 1945? How long was it before we were in Korea? After Korea, the Six-Day War. After that, Vietnam. After that, uh, uh, there's a couple others in the Middle East wars. I'll pass out my, my mind, lips out of that. But I've, I've been there for all that. Look how quickly they change. So we read in Revelation, I mean in Matthew 24, wars and rumors of wars like Daryl brought out. I can actually say I lived through that period of time. Wars and rumors of wars, and we still hear more and more and more. And look at how fast things change from World War, the end of World War One or two rather, to the beginning of Korea, to the beginning of Vietnam, to the six-day war to the missile crisis with Cuba. Look how quick those things change. And then I can say, look at the last six to eight months. You think things don't change quick? A year ago, most of the church met together. Today, a lot of the church groups are virtual. In just a short period of time and it's all because people are being deceived today when I look back at uh, I got down here I wanted to show how, how it changed as a kid I remember at 8 years old riding a streetcar and then a bus to downtown Cleveland, Ohio 
today I probably wouldn't even want to go downtown Cleveland, Ohio. But I was only eight years old. And things changed that much in my short period of time. I saw coming home from getting um, the food boxes last Thursday. There was a man walking from the Mormon church up toward the, the uh, post office. Nobody around, on the street, by himself, on the sidewalk, wearing a mask. And I'm thinking, we didn't do that eight months ago, nine months ago. We didn't worry about that. And then I get reports from uh, people that says the world, the um, New World Order group, would like to uh, depopulate the world. Okay, their status is, in depopulation of the world, is to take this country with a, a people of over 300 million people, they want to take it down to 100 million. You know what that means? I look at this group right here. That means that 12 of you are going to have to die. And only 6 of you can live because 300 to 100 is 3 to 1. That means only they're only looking at one third of this population living. And so I have to say, where am I going to be when this trumpet start? Uh, where am I going to be when that seventh trump starts? Uh, that's not good. It's not good for me to sit there and think that two thirds of this population's got to die. And then I look at a little bit worse than that. They only want 500 million humans on the planet. That's all they want. That means. Eight out of ten people have to die. So when you put those statistics on there, you say, is that where I want to be? <laughs> you know, God's got something else in plan that, that they don't know about. But anyway, that's the statistics. So anyway, where do we stand? Are we awake? Are we listening? Are we paying attention? We can... We can sit in services and get sermons and um, and go home, but do we apply them in our life? It's sometimes difficult. Matthew 24, verse 43. But know this, and you can just write it down, but know this, that the good man of the house, had he known in which hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken into. So when I say, where do we stand? Or we have, we've got sermons that have pinpointed what's happening. And um, do we uh, listen? We do hear. We hear. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I say this about myself. I hear these people speak. And... Uh, and I hear people tell me things, but am I listening? There's a difference between hearing and listening. You hear a lot of things. You hear birds, you can hear cars go by, but are you actually listening to what's being said? And that, that becomes something that you... It, it's needful as a person, if I want to be, and I want you to be, and you want to be... Uh, 
not in the physical realm when that seven trump blows, at least after it blows. You know, after that short period of time when the dead's raised and those that are your friends and you watch somebody else who, man, I've been right there beside you and we've, we've, we've talked and we've held hands and we've worked together and all of a sudden I'm still on the ground and he's gone. We saw him raised from the ground. Uh, so, do we, do we take, are we listening to what God says? Do, do we really hear, not only hear the noise, but do we, do we listen to what's being said to make those changes? So, in point one is, what's, what's it for the church? Where are we in the church? Point one B is, are we taking God? Or do we take, I put down here, maybe it's the wrong way to put it, but I, I, I put down, do we take God for granted? Or other words, do we allow ourselves to think that God isn't aware of what I do every day? Because I can get involved. I mean, I can be working on a, a car or a truck or filling tires or working on the solar system or uh, just sitting in my chair, maybe just sitting there doing nothing. Am I, am I really aware that God knows what I'm doing? Can I uh, have a job and I listen to uh, bad stories or shady stories? Or I look at it when, you know, I grew up when in the 50s when there was a lot of uh, racial things. My oldest brother was very racial. He uh, he would sooner shoot a black person than he would uh, to walk down the street. So there was a lot of racial problems. Do I then sit in my chair today or yesterday or last week or will I tomorrow or the next day? Will I have bad feelings toward black people? Or, or maybe one of my granddaughters who is so caught up in this Black Lives Matter stuff, which she doesn't really understand. She doesn't know what it's about. She thinks it's about saving black lives. It has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with whether black lives live or die. It's whether this country becomes communist or we have God as our director. So, can I sit in my chair? Do I contemplate that every thought, because, you know, Paul said uh, we have to capture every thought. Sometimes it's, you know, do we really do that? I mean, do, do we, do, can we sit down and watch TV and go off someplace else? Uh, can we sit and hear a sermon and while the sermon's going, and I, you know, I've done it too, like everybody else, I've done it. I'm hearing a sermon and all of a sudden I'm over here in in uh, Florida or up in Michigan or maybe in California or maybe someplace else during the sermon because our minds can lead us those directions. So I can ask the question, do I really take God for granted or do I really comprehend that He knows what I'm doing? I can't hide from him. He, you know, with a psalm, or one of the psalms, songs that we sing is that 
whether we uh, are underwater or out in space or in a cave or in our yard. We sing that God's there. He knows what we're doing. So do we take God or Christ, our Father, for granted? In Matthew 26, where Christ, this is where Christ was about to die, okay? He was, he knew what Isaiah 53 said. So he knew what was going to happen in a few hours, okay? He knew uh, Psalms 22. So he knew what was going to happen to him. And here he is praying, and he's got the disciples out there, and they go pray. So he's really, it's, to him it's his reality. But the disciples, uh, they didn't have the depth of understanding that Christ had. And he went off to pray and come back, and he finds him asleep. And so here in Matthew 26:41, Christ speaks to Peter. And he says, and I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Okay. So Christ says to Peter, keep alert and pray. You know, stay alert. But Christ could because he knew what was going to happen. They had an idea, but it wasn't fixed totally in their mind. It's like if somebody comes up in front of you with a gun and says, I'm going to blow your head off. It's pretty well fixed in your mind. You're looking at, and I, I've only been that way one time when I had a, a 45, I guess it was, or a 9 millimeter, whatever it was, about that far away. And that, it looked like about that big around, you know. So you, you have reality at that point. So Christ had the reality, but the, the disciples didn't. So Christ says to Peter, keep alert and pray, because they fell asleep. And he goes on to say, otherwise, and this is a New Living Translation, otherwise temptations will overpower you. So Christ knew and understood the human life. He understood human beings. He knew temptations could overpower you. And, and though the spirit is willing enough, the body, the flesh, is weak. So Christ had a good understanding. And it's something for each one of us to think. We don't have that much time. I remember one of the first sermonettes that Paul Flatt gave in Houston in probably 67, 1967. He was on the stage and he said, you see this stage, how big it is? And he walked over to an a eighth of the stage and said, well, this is where we are in life. So if I were to take that same analogy, I could take that same stage and stand right there next to the curtain and say, this is where we are. You know, you can blow the curtain. We're so close. So what is the reality, I think, to me, thinking of the trumpet's going to come, am I that concerned like Christ, who to him it was a reality. You have to face it. But to the disciples, and Christ said, the flesh is, the spirit is willing. <laughs> Spiritually, we've got the knowledge. We want to be there. We want to, we're all with you, Christ. 
We're with you, Father. We're all in it. But the flesh is weak, so there are things that can pull us aside. It's easy. I find in my life, and probably with others the same way, it's easy to be caught off guard. It's easy. You could go to town. The incident happened not long ago. Because I don't think quick enough. I don't have the spiritual only. The guy comes up to me and says, where's your mask? And I, the only thing I could think of, it's in my pocket with my teeth. So that's a good place to wear it. But he was angry. Because he said, you're going to make everybody sick. And I'm thinking, I didn't think I was sick. But I couldn't think how to bring that out. So for him, the reality was, I'm going to make everybody sick. And for me, the reality was, I'm not sick. So why could I make somebody else sick? But I have to ask myself that question I put down there. Am I caught up in, in, and I get frustrated with people like that. So I get caught up in the reality of having to wear a mask, and I think this is stupid. I mean, it's crazy. It makes me think of Chinese. Every place I look over there in China for years, walking around, a lot of people walk around with masks on. I'm thinking, why? Why do they do that? Now I see everybody here wearing masks. And I say, why are we doing that? It's so crazy. So you get caught up in the reality and you forget what's really happening. What's really happening. So, I got to... A note down here says, don't get caught off guard. It's easy to be caught off guard because you're so involved in life, so involved in life that um, you can get caught off guard. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6, I want to go through that because I broke that down a little bit so to understand. It says in chapter 5, verse 6, Therefore let, not, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. The word sleep could be asleep or sleeping. It is translated by vines as of carnal indifference, carnal indifference to spiritual things on the part of the believer. So we can be asleep because of carnal indifference. Uh, like with the apostles. They were asleep because they were tired. They'd been up all day. This was way past midnight or up toward midnight. And uh, so the indifference to spiritual things on the part of... So do we get to that point that we can get sidetracked in thinking that God's not aware of what we're doing? The second word in their watch where it says, as others do, but let us watch. Like Christ said to, uh, to Peter, watch, stay awake and pray. Watch could be, be vigilant or spiritual alertness. Spiritual alertness. I mean, that's putting yourself really out there and getting yourself all fired up for, for Christ, for God, 
for the Father for what He's asking us to do. And then it says, and be sober. So I always watch sober. Uh, the word sober can mean to be free from the, intox- the influence of intoxication. Okay, alcohol. But intoxication can be other things. You can be intoxicated anyway with life you're so wrapped up in your life that uh, you're influenced by what's going on around you and not paying a great attention to it and those were explanations put out by Vine's explanatory dictionary Bible dictionary or Bible words because it helps me to understand so I can't be asleep I've got to be alert. I've got to be spiritually alert. I've got to make Christ's way of life the most important part of my life. Uh, and sometimes my flesh is weak too. Pretty weak. A lot of times very weak. 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. So, am I intoxicated sometimes with <laughs> with life? Do I get in? Do I get so intoxicated? I get so tied up in this world, this way of life, that I forget what I'm supposed to be doing. First Corinthians ten, verse nine. Neither let us tempt Christ. So, if we get, if we, if you're an alcoholic, are you tempting Christ? I go out to Zion Park and I see these people climbing this straight wall and I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to do that. I don't want to tempt Christ. I know I'm not that strong. I'm not that secure at heights. So why would I try to climb a wall that easily could slip? And uh, the fall don't hurt you though, you know. I keep telling you, the fall don't bother you a bit. In fact, it's probably enjoyable. It's when this fall stops. That's what gets to you. So, neither tempt Christ as some of them also tempted that were destroyed by the serpents. Talking about Israel, when God protected them, He brought them out into the, to the wilderness to teach them and to give them another whole country. But they were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10, Neither murmur you, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. So do we go out and so do we tempt God? Do we go out there and complain about every small thing? Uh, I have a problem doing that at times, and uh, it's been pointed out to me, and I've been trying very hard to get rid of that out of my life. Uh, but I'm human and it's still weak. <laughs> still have that same problem, but. But God says, don't murmur. You could be destroyed if that's what you are, a murmurer. If you murmur and complain about everything that goes down. uh, What is it? In Galatians 5, it says, love, joy, peace, uh, long-suffering, joy. uh, Or do we murmur about everything because we can't find what will suit us? Um, The world's problems today are covered in scriptures too so we can't murmur because he said you'll be destroyed 
Now all these things happened to them, them, the whole nation of Israel. This happened to the people of times past, happened to them for an example, and they are written for our admiration. They're written to us. This was all put down to say, this is what happens. If you're a complainer, if you don't listen to God, if you don't trust God, if you don't try to follow God, these things were all written for us to teach us as an example upon whom the, he says, the ends of the world are come. So who's the end of the world coming on? Kind of looks like we're pretty close to that period of time. Wherefore, verse 12, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. So do we think we stand because we are in the church? Because we are attending Sabbath services? Is that all that matters? Do we think that that's what's important? So do I think that, hey, I'm in the church. I'm going to be one of those that's taken to a place of safety, I hope. (laughs) Maybe we don't put the I hope in there. Because if you don't go to a place of safety, even if you're in the church, you're going to go through the trumpet plagues. Darrell has brought that out in many sermons. He said maybe only about a small 10%, but 90% of the church is not going to go to a place of safety. So do I think I'm standing because I'm in this group and hey, I am going to go to a place of safety and not have to put up with those trumpet plagues? No way. Because if that's my thoughts, I've got another thought to think about. Revelation 2, verse 4. I came in the church. My first Sabbath services was a week after that little girl sitting over there running the sound was born. I know, it was her first birthday. One week after her first birthday, I made my first chance to go to uh, Sabbath services. And then I get Revelation chapter 2. This is to the churches. To all the churches. And, and God emphasized that. He said at the end of each church group, He says, listen to what I say to the churches. So He's telling me, listen. Not just hear the words, but listen to what I say. And in verse 4 He says, and I can apply this to me. Okay, I apply this to me, verse 4. But I have this complaint, God says. So I can have God say to me, i got this complaint against you. I go back. You can ask my daughter. We did a lot of stuff together as a family. And God can say to me, i got this complaint against you, Nelson. You don't love me. And this is again from the New Living Translation. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or others as you did at first. King James says, you don't love me or you lost your first love. What was my first love? Can you sit down after a while and say, 
What was my first love? How did I do? What did I do when I first was called? How did I change? How do I respond today? Because we're looking at, when I bring this out is, where will I be? You have to ask yourself, where will I be when that seventh trump blows? Where will I be when that first trump blows? I know where I want to be, but where will I be? And it's so I have to take that and say, God says, and He talks to every one of the church groups. He gives them great points. He comes down and says, "You've done this and this and this good, but you fall short in this area." What did He say to the church of Laodicea? I spewed you out because. You know, you were uh, you were good at one time, and you did study, and you you did this. But now you uh, sometimes pray, and sometimes don't. Sometimes you spend, you you study the Bible a couple hours a day, and sometimes maybe you miss a day or two, or, or uh, whatever. And God says, you know, I would rather have you not come to me at all, because I know how to deal with you. Or I'd rather have you be so bound up in doing my stuff, I know how to deal with you. But you're a person that I can't deal with you because I don't know where you're going to be tomorrow or where you are today or where were you yesterday. So he says, I'm putting you out. But then he ends up by saying, I'll tell you this. I'm going to stand at the door and knock. So if you happen to be one that is there during the first trump and the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. He's saying to you at that time, I'm going to be at the door and I'm going to knock. Are you ready to make the change? Are you ready to become fired up for me? Because that's what's going to wind up being He's offering that even to the Laodicean church. He's offering you, and he said that. He never puts you through anything that you can't handle. And if it gets down to that point, he will make a way to get out. And he's making a way to get out. To the Laodiceans, he says, this is the way out. I'll knock. I'm ready to come. I'm ready to be your friend. And we've had ten sermons on being friends of God so far. He said, I wanted to be your friend. Do you want me to be your friend? If you want me to be your friend, you'll open up. You'll turn around. And I will come in and I will sup with you and you can sup with me. And I'll eat with you. You can be part of my family. That's what's offered to each and every one of us. And there's a lot of things that we can continue to go through. Philippians 4.8. No. Go back to Philippians 4.8. It tells you what you should be thinking about every day. We can be caught up in our lifestyle, but do we sit down and think what God says? Okay. Or about James 3.17. But the wisdom of this is... But wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to entreat, full of mercy and good fruits 
without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is what God's looking for from us. That's what He's saying when He's saying, hey, um, if you've recaptured that, when I look back when I first came into the church, I mean, I gave every day, get up at 7 o'clock and make sure I had a minimum of one hour of prayer and a minimum of one hour of Bible study. And then at nights I spent many times uh, with my kids when I wasn't asleep. <laughs> my daughter gets kicked. She gets tickled at that because she lived through those times. So she knows the study and the time that her dad and her mother spent. But do I, can I sit back there and go back to read Matthew uh I mean, Revelation 2 and say, God is putting His finger in my nose and saying, uh, you have slipped. Can we, each one of us, take it that God's questioning us? When, it's, when I read that where it says, uh, you don't love me or others. And when I read the of others the brethren, the people that I grew up with in the church, I think of Matthew 25, where Christ specifically said, and this is a promise He makes, if you love your brothers, you love Me. You love the Father. But if you backtalk or you put down somebody else, guess what you're doing to Me? Did I do that at first? I don't think so. So, so I can't go and say Christ is putting His finger in my face. Well, we go on. Okay. And I'm going to go to point two. Because it's just continuation. We must think like God. A sub-point of point one. If we have to think like God thinks. That's where... Philippians 4.8 comes in. We have to think in the same category that God thinks in. We have to think words like in Micah 6.8 where he says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the eternal require of you, but to do what? To do justly? To love mercy? and to walk humbly with your God. And you can also relate uh, Isaiah 66 and Deuteronomy, I think it's 10 verse 12. You can relate that to the same thing. We have to think like God. We have to think like Christ when He told Peter, wake up! Uh, because it's so easy to be pulled aside. So where do you expect to be? When the trumpets start blowing, I know where I would like to be. It gets down to how how much I would like to be at a place of safety and backing those that God's going to send out there. So point two then was the physical side, the physical aspect of it. What makes the difference? between those that are called and selected and chosen 
and the rest of the world. Because that's a big, huge part. The world doesn't know. They're like, we read, they're like the thief going to break into their house. They're like the government's going to turn over and go from a, a relatively form of freedom to slavery. A world that is, you have freedom to do whatever you want to everybody got to be complying with whatever we dictate. Wearing a mask doesn't mean that you're sick. It's just that we are showing, we're trying to get the mankind to follow everything we say, good or bad. So we start out with wearing a mask. The next thing is going to be getting shots. And then the next thing is going to be, we're going to get rid of you unless you are able-bodied. So anybody over a certain age, uh, we're going to dump them. Anybody who has got any malady, you know, broken arm, one leg, one leg, we get rid of them. Somebody that's sick all the time, got to get rid of them. This is what's coming down the line. But God has been very good to people, humanity. God has never done, and scriptures are plain, they do tell us that, that God has never done anything before he warns them about it. So what do we find coming up? Two people, backed by a group of people, are going to tell the world, you got to make some changes. They won't laugh about it, but they might. You remember Moses when he and Aaron went up to Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, uh, who's God? I don't know this God that you're talking about. I mean, what? I'm God. And Pharaoh said, I'm the guy in charge. Uh, what do we have today? Governors of the state saying, I'm the guy in charge. You will do what I want. Isn't that the same thing? But God says, He's going to tell everybody. From the New Living Translation again, Amos 3, verse 7. Amos 3, 7. But always, first of all, I warn you through my servants, the prophets. They are going to be warned Things are going to happen. Moses told Pharaoh, you know, if you don't let God's people go, I'm going to bring plagues on you. We're going to have frogs everywhere. Ah, my people can bring frogs too. Of course, after a couple of days of frogs, he was ready to get rid of them. And then what else? Another thing come and another thing come. God never brought until he told them, this is going to happen. This is going to happen to this world. Two men are going to have to go out and tell the world, you have to turn around, okay? You have to change your, your status in life. There is a God who's offering a, a way of life that is so spectacular. Go back and read about the uh, Garden of Eden. That's what we're going to have. 
But so before you do that, unless you change, this is going to happen. So, question, will these two people tell them what the trumpet's going to do? Just a question, because I don't know. But it's a question to think about. Will, will they be the ones that says, when this trumpet blows, this is going to happen? Change. I, I, I put that out because I know at the end of this period of time, for three days, they're going to kill these two people and they're going to rejoice. Finally, we don't have any more of these plagues coming on us. Right. There's one more. And then ten. But there's one big one going to come and it will scare the socks off of everybody when they see people raised to meet Christ in the sky. And then the proverbial all hell will break loose. Because when God turns loose the bowl plagues, it is going to be devastating. There won't be 500 million. be a lot less than that. So he goes on to say, But always, first of all, I warn you through my servants the prophets, I, the sovereign Lord, have now done this. It's going to happen. I believe it will happen. But I believe it enough. Do I believe Do I believe it enough that I don't want to be there and hear that said? You know, in Malachi 4, verse 5, Malachi 4, 5 says, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That occurs after the seventh trump. And he's warning the people. Why would loving God who said He's going to save all of Israel, a loving God who gives life and brought all that around, come to that point to destroy so many people. We get an answer, sort of, in Isaiah chapter 2. And I put down 5 through 12, but I just want to read 12. 12 is basically what I want to say. For the day of the Lord, verse 12, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is what? Proud? Everyone that is lofty? And upon everyone that is lifted up? I am so great. I am the king. I'm the governor. I'm the mayor. I'm whatever. And he shall be brought low. All the humanity who think they're the great, the greats of the world, the greats of the world. He's going to put an end to that. So, in Proverbs chapter 16, in verse 5, Christ, through Solomon, telling us today, even here, telling us in the church, we need to realize this too, because this is to us too. We can't be like the world. He says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the eternal. 
I have to ask myself that. Am I proud? Of who? I, I had a, a daughter tell me about a child, and I said, that, tell the child it pleased me. Because I took God's side. And she kept telling me, oh, they're so proud of him. I said, I'm pleased with the activities they did. I'm not proud of it. Can't be proud of it. God says it's an abomination. And I don't want to be looked on by God that way. And though the hand joined to hand, he shall not be unpunished. So, punishment's going to come to everybody. In Matthew 23, another example of why God's going to bring this destruction. Why He's going to bring the plagues, the, the trumpet plagues. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. Verse 12, Matthew 23. And whosoever shall exalt himself puts himself up. And he that shall, but he shall be humbled, or he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So if you, if you think I'm the great, look at this world. I don't care whether it's the football players, or the people on uh, the movies, you know, they have they have these things. This honor, all these newbie stars, or these things, they're exalting themselves. Uh, I don't want to be with them because they're going to be brought abased. I would rather say, I want to do it God's way. I want to be what God wants me to be. So the world's got plans to, de- to dispense with 500 million. We got what? Over 4 billion? They only want 500 million. God, uh, God has shown us through sermons that God's only going to have maybe a, a hundred million. That's quite a bit less. Four, over 4 billion people? Uh, there's a lot of dead bodies. That's why he said it's going to take a long time to bury all those dead bodies. I already brought out how Lord Potter showed that this, which brings down to uh, a third of this population going to live. I was looking through this through the trumpet plagues and other plagues. And so I got another question. Somebody gave me an answer. Was it right or not? So I asked the question. And I pointed it out to you. You can think about it. This is not doctrine for me. I mean, just, I'm just done. A question. In all of the trumpet plagues, it shows one third does this. One third does this. One third does this. Even uh, in Ezekiel, a third goes to captivity. A third is killed by the sword. A third uh, die of famine. Question, why? Why does God bring out a third all the time? So here's kind of an answer uh, Maybe a question. Maybe it is 
because a third of the angels rebelled against God. And God is trying to rub this into Satan and the angels' nose and humanity's nose that if you follow Satan, a third are going to take and suffer what Satan does. So is that... It's just a question. Does it sound plausible? Just ask yourself. Go and study it. Is it true that that God is maybe God's pointing it out to us? I'm going to do away with a third of the people, and then another third, and another third. Pretty soon it gets down to not many thirds left. It gets down to pretty small numbers again. Pretty small numbers. Well, God has other plans than mankind. For man, the trumpet plagues mean chaos. They mean death, destruction. They mean misery. They mean change or you die. For the church, what does it mean? It means eternal life, bride of Christ. It means a time when the it will work toward developing the Garden of Eden. To the world, they will not listen. And so God, who is a loving God, is doing this because the only way to deal with it is... It's like Daryl brought out about child-rearing. If the child is rebellious, you have to... You can either let them be rebellious and keep going and doing their own thing and keep getting worse and worse and worse so you go in the grocery store and they're picking up everything and hollering and screaming and that's you or you have to correct them for it so God's love tough love call it is to put them to sleep and then bring them back when he has enough help to lead them into what's best for them so ask yourself where do I want to be when these trumpet plagues start? Will I hear the trumpet plagues and deal with it? Or will I hear but be in a place where I can support the ones who are telling the world change? Just like Christ said in Malachi, I will send Elijah the prophet. We know two witnesses are going to come. And they will tell the world, you have to change. Or you will be spanked. Uh, Yeah, you'll go to sleep. It might be difficult. But when you wake up, you're going to be woken to a time where it is so different. We'll no more have chaos. When that last plague hits, the last trump blows... And God's bold plagues come on. For a period of time, rebellion will cease. And then he says, I'll let it go again. But then it will cease forever. I want to be, I want you to be, in a place of safety when the plagues start, when the trumpets start. And I want to be there. I want to be with you. I want to be all of us rise and meet Christ and then go to the Father's throne 
and marry Christ. I want that from all of us. I really want it for me too, you know. I really want to be there. But sometimes my flesh is weak too. So, don't give up. Wake up. Don't hear. Listen. Because that's what's important.